Hello and welcome to Change is Possible podcast. My name is Ani Filipova and I'm your host. When I left my banking career to try something new, the number one question everyone asked me was, how did you find the courage? The thing is, it's not about the courage. It is about knowing what you want and planning for it. That's why I started this podcast to help you make your career change possible. Each of our guests have done a successful career change and we're going to discuss practical advice, actionable tips and inspirational stories that can help you to get unstuck and transition into work that you love. Let's get started. Hello everyone. My guest today is Frank Ko. Frank started his career with IBM in Singapore after graduating from university with a business degree. Since then, he has taken on different roles in the technology industry, including 11 years stint in Oracle, where he headed up various businesses functions, including as managing director for Singapore and South Asia growth economies. In 2010, it was the first pivot Frank moved into the education sector, initially with Pearson Education, where he led its uh, learning solution business. This responsibility subsequently brought him to China, where he was based for two and a half years. And then he joined an educational startup in Shanghai as their chief operating officer. And in 2016, Frank had his third pivot. He returned to Singapore to join LinkedIn and is now uh, LinkedIn's head of Asia for Talent Solutions. Frank's life purpose is to help people and teams achieve positive transformation with joy, and he's passionate about helping people leverage LinkedIn platform to inspire others and navigate their career transformation through the great reshuffle. Frank, I'm so excited to welcome you on my podcast. How are you? Fantastic, Annie. Thank you for inviting me here. I really love to be here. I already mentioned you had several pivots and it's very interesting. And we have this discussion topics today that are on topical subjects like uh, the great reshuffle, career transformation. So I, I can't wait to start. And let me start from the very beginning. You had an exciting career with many changes and turns. But when you completed your education, how did you land your first job? Was it something that you always wanted to do or was it something uh, that happened by coincidence? Oh, wow. That's a million-dollar question, Annie. Yeah. <laughs> I would say that uh, it's more coincidental rather than planned. Okay. Because, uh, during that time, that was the year 1990, there wasn't so much of career counseling that we know now in uh, colleges, yeah. at least uh, not in mine. But there were quite a number of campus recruitments at that time. So I remember in my final year, I was majoring in finance at the time. I went through a couple of campus recruitment talks, especially for with multinational companies. And subsequently, I sent in a couple of applications. And uh, lo and behold, there were uh, quite a few of them. I think it was five of them who actually got me into the interviews. I went through the interviews and it turned out that actually I was one of the few uh, fortunate ones at the time to be offered a couple of jobs. So for me, I had um, three jobs on offer, which I have uh, to make a very difficult decision to decide. 
I remember the first one was actually with your previous company, Annie, was with uh, City. Oh, okay. The role of a, a trainee night trader, a trader at night. Okay. Forex. The second one is uh, with Procter & Gamble. That was um, for a training brand manager. And the third one was with IBM as a management associate. Now, uh, at the time, I was a very social person. So I figured that it's quite difficult for me to uh, be working at night or my friends are sleeping. And um, to be sleeping in the day when my friends are working or, in fact, partying away. So I, just, yeah. uh, I will not uh, take on the city role, unfortunately. And then between Procter & Gamble and IBM, I decided to take on the IBM role just because uh, they have a more structured training program. And there was a sense that, you know, you helped in my skills development and career development. And so that's how I landed on my first job. That's great because when I look back in my first jobs, I mean, I applied to all the international companies in Bulgaria and they all rejected me, all of them. So you're very lucky. So you have spent 11 years in tech industry, as you said, in uh, companies like IBM, HP and Oracle. What are the critical skills that you use later that you learn in these companies? Right. I was very much in the uh, business side of the tech companies, not so much in the technical side uh, because my major was in business and finance. So there were a couple of skills that I thought was really, really helpful for me. Uh, first of all, is really about relationship building because I need to meet up with uh, customers, with partners. I need to build a strong proposition of our solutions with them. And then at the same time, internally, I need to um, make sure that I collaborate with the various cross-functional teams to build the solutions together so that it makes sense for our customers. And so the business around uh, the relationship building skills was very core for my or survival, you would, at a time. And the next area is uh, really in being able to bring technology to solve uh, some of the biggest business problems. Right? Because the companies I work with are solutions providers, and we are trying to um, ensure that customers have the, the problems solved or the business needs met with the technology. The third area is very much on management skills. I was actually very fortunate to um, be a people manager um, a relatively early part of my career. I remember that time I was uh, about 28 years old. When I became a first-time people manager, it was not easy to begin, but I picked up quite a lot of skills in people management, managing across uh, geographies and cultures, which I'm sure any of you yourself have been through, working in different countries, and also developing business uh, strategies and uh, also understanding processes, operations, and systems. So these are some of the skills that actually has uh, helped me along the way, even throughout my career. Yeah, I can imagine these are the most important skills, right? Start with relationship building, working with people, solving problems uh, for your clients. That's basically the critical thinking you need throughout your career. And let's go to your first pivot when you move from tech to education. So what drove this decision? And what are the critical learnings of the process of transition? And what should people prepare or think about if they want to do a similar transition? Wow, wow. there's a lot of questions down here. Maybe I'll try to answer one at a time, uh, if you don't mind, right? Yeah. Well, you know, this pivot actually started during 2008. And you remember any uh, yeah. that is during the global financial crisis? Yes, I remember very well. <laughs> I was in London at that time. It was not a great time. But anyway, over to you. 
yeah, it was not a great time for the financial services industry. Many people, I'm sure, went out of job. Neither was it a great time for many other industries, and including the technology industry that I was in at that time. So amongst the people that I knew in technology, a lot of people also went out of jobs. A lot of them uh, took a long time to find the jobs. And uh, many of them you know, have to serve their mortgage payments, have to bring up children, have to uh, pay for family expenses. And along the way, I know a couple of my friends, you know, they went into anxiety and depression. And so that was when I really started wanting to see how I can help them to get through this bad stage of their life, rejuvenate their life. And I realized later on that actually I enjoy helping people. And um, I'm pretty okay at doing that. And that got me into um, a journey of uh, exploring to see what I can really do to help people through some of these difficulties. So along the way, I researched into the education sector. I researched into the sector uh, in what they call developing human potential. I invested in uh, an education startup that does right brain development. I developed a business plan actually to want to build a program to help people through difficulties. And then I realized that I wasn't really ready to get out on my own because my business and financial skills on a practical way is not really well honed. And then a headhunter that was, I remember Russell Reynolds called me and said, hey, by the way, there's this company called Pearson Education who's looking for people to transform their business from uh, prints. At the time, Grayson was one of the biggest publishing company, but there was, uh, they were undergoing huge amounts of disruption. So they wanted people mm-hmm. to transform business from print to digital and from uh, offering products to offering whole suites of educational services. And they call these learning solutions. I thought it was a godsend to me at, at that time. And therefore, I decided uh, that, well, I was happy and blessed to be able to have some savings. I have some skills that I believe could contribute to this transformation. And uh, this is also in line with uh, my goal of wanting to help people progress in life. In fact, uh, Pearson's mission at that time was to help people progress in life through learning and education. And that really inspired me. And therefore, I took the plunge to join the education sector, if you would. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think you, you have a question on, you know, what are the considerations to in this, in this decision and what should people do if they want to, uh, to make the transition? Now, thinking back, I would say that, first of all, to me, it's uh, about interest and passion. Like for me, it is about wanting to help people. And that to, uh, became the true north. And then... At the same time, I also believe that I have uh, some financial backing to allow me to, um, well, if I were to fail in my new pursuit, that I can, at least I can pay my mortgage, I can bring up my children, and uh, it can last me for a while. And thirdly is the kind of skills, I believe I have some skills to contribute to the new organization and new industries. And uh, that was the reason why I decided that it was a great time to uh, make the move. Great. Very good practical advice. And then the third career pivot, right? So you went back to Singapore and you started working for LinkedIn. So from education to social media. So what attracted you in LinkedIn? Because this was back at what year? 2016, right? Yes, that's right. So the social media frenzy was not that much, I think, at that time. So how did you find about it? What attracted you in LinkedIn? And then we'll talk about the skills that you needed. You know, what are the skills that you transferred there? So 
let's start with the first one. What attracted you to LinkedIn? Oh, well, you know, it's really about LinkedIn's vision of helping create opportunities for the global workforce. It's also, as you know, it's in line with my vision of helping people progress in life and uh, to have positive transformation. And at the same time, there was a time when uh, LinkedIn acquired an organization called lynda.com. They have a huge library of e-learning content. And being in the education sector at that time, I have this vision that you know, e-learning is going to drive the way people will learn in future. You know, people can learn anywhere, anytime, just in time, even just in case. It can also help people develop a learning culture, organizations develop a learning culture to enable everyone to be lifelong learners. So I thought that was fantastic and that attracted me. But the situation under which I joined LinkedIn was very interesting because at that time, I remember I was in, still based in Shanghai. Yeah. I've been there for close to three years. My dad, who was in Singapore, wasn't feeling very well. And I thought I wanted to come back to Singapore to uh, really look after him, you know, quit my job, come back to Singapore, and then decide what to do. But like most people who are looking out for opportunities, they go onto LinkedIn. And so did I. So interestingly, when I went into LinkedIn, the job that I eventually took up in LinkedIn actually popped up in my profile. <laughs> I didn't know how it worked at that time. It was meant to be, obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was meant to. I thought it was another godsend for me. And of course, I mean, there's uh, the artificial intelligence behind the, uh, the platform that actually matches uh, my skills that I have with the job requirements. And so it turned out to be uh, really another blessing for me. To cut the story short, I applied for the job and um, I also went on LinkedIn to seek out some of my ex-colleagues or friends who were already on LinkedIn. I hooked up with them, asked them how it was working in LinkedIn. They told me all the great things about working in LinkedIn. When I went to interview when I was in Shanghai and then eventually LinkedIn decided that I was uh, a right fit for the role and uh, they relocated me back to Singapore, <laughs> which is exactly what I wanted to do. So it's kind of like, a, again, a coincidence. I take it as a, it's something that is a blessing for me and also my family. I see. So I guess that the skills that you have developed before, networking, helping people, reaching out, connecting with people, these are all the skills that you transferred into LinkedIn. What was the, the skills that helped you the most in your new environment? Well, I think it's really about people management. Because in LinkedIn, I have to manage across different cultures, different geographies, mm. right? We have uh, people based in Singapore of different nationalities, and many of them, they fly out to the various countries. And so that was not easy for them because in terms of customer proximity, in terms of understanding the market, there's a bit of a, a gap, even though they may be from the country. Obviously, during COVID, it makes it very difficult for them to fly back to the countries to do business, first of all, and also to meet their loved ones. So it kind of like fine-tuned, you know, by ability to manage people through some difficulties and also have a better appreciation of uh, cultural nuances as well as uh, be more sensitive to the needs of uh, people with different backgrounds. Okay, so let me ask you this question. So you know about the side hustle concept that you should have something alongside your job that actually is your hobby or interest and you should develop it to make your life and career more interesting. So should people have this side hustle 
and why? And then did you have such interest and did they help you steer your career one way or another? And yeah, I, I thought it's a question that I should be asking you and learning from you. <laughs> I know you made a fantastic transition out of your side hustle to uh, a new area that you truly enjoy doing, right? Yeah. If you just share some of my thoughts, I would say, you know, many people take on side hustles for different reasons, right? Some do so because they need the money. One job is not enough. They need the money from the second job or the side hustle to supplement the income. But at the same time, there are many people who actually take on a side hustle or side interest, as you call it, even without being paid. Right. And I think this is something that is very useful. You know, when we talk about work-life balance, it's not just about you know balancing the time you work versus the time you're not working and uh, doing something else. But it's really about also pursuing different areas in life. Right. So other than pursuing the professional or the financial front in the work, if all of us can also pursue some other areas of interest to us, which is aligned with our passion, our life goals, then you know there would be a natural work-life balance because you are putting your minds on areas that you do for money and also you do for interest. And so many people, I believe, uh, are doing that, which is very well, and that helps them to grow it helps them to find joy in their daily lives. And I'm seeing that uh, companies are also mindful of that. And so they are helping employees form, you know, as you know, we call employee resource groups, ERGs, mm-hmm. right? To enable employees to take on areas of interest. Now, it can be for charity or sustainability or environment or even parenthood or women enablement. But such ERGs also help employees find additional meaning in the work they do besides uh, just pursuing their direct uh, career. I mean, and so for me, my side hustle or side interest, if you would, is very much associated with my purpose of helping people progress in life and make positive trans- uh, transformation with joy. I believe that humanity can be happier, society can be happier if uh, people find joy in the work that they do. And personally, I can make an impact on a scalable way uh, in three areas. So first of all is in the, the uppermost echelon of an organization, which is the, at the board level. The second one is in the human resource community because the human resource groups of people are people that are building programs, coming up with strategies to ensure a great employee experience and ensure great engagements. And the third area is really the institutions that are preparing people for work so that they have a great life skills, they have a good mindset before they start working. And so my side hustle are involved in volunteering in these organizations. So for instance, in the director level, in Singapore Institute of Directors, I am in a committee that actually builds a mentoring program for would-be directors. And my, my aim is to really introduce diversity into the board so that people can have better ideas and more diverse ideas to help organizations grow. And in the uh, HR community, I'm also in, in a committee of the Institute of HR Professionals that helps build and develop capabilities and capacity in the HR community. And I also volunteer in uh, some of the Institute of Higher Education as an advisor to um, hopefully try to 
refine and rebuild the curriculum and the way they train people so that uh, people are ready for work. And then that, that's the external side hustles, if you call it. And then I have um, two internal side hustles uh, being a sponsor of the uh, LinkedIn's Diversity, Inclusion and Belonging ERG, mm-hmm. as well as uh, what we call the Embrace ERG, which helps employees to uh, appreciate people of different cultures. I see. That's quite a lot. But, but that gives me gave me uh, a lot of energy and joy in, in what I'm doing. So on the whole, I think uh, having a side interest you know, that gives you energy is really, really empowering. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. And you had a lot of side hustles. I also went through my fair share. And honestly, if I didn't go and do all these side things, maybe I would have been still kind of having one job only. But now I have more and it's more interesting. I meet many different people, different opportunities open in front of you. So it is really great. Thank you for confirming that. You shared with uh, me your life purpose to help people and teams achieve positive transformation with joy and that you're passionate about helping people leverage LinkedIn platform in this time of transformation and a great reshuffle. Can we talk a bit about what is driving this great reshuffle and how company culture is changing because of it? And then subsequently, what should employees do to steer the company culture? Because it's not only top down, it's also bottom up. Right. This is when the this works the best. Oh, indeed, indeed. Yeah, I think this is an area that we have a lot of experience as well. You know, heading the operations uh, in, in the past for city. From my perspective, the great reshuffle or the great resignation is the term that is used uh, just over about uh, one or one and a half years ago, right? and that was during the pandemic. And uh, it was really the pandemic that has caused many people to really rethink what it means about working for them. You know, they're thinking about not just what they do, but why they're doing what they do, right? Re-establishing their, their priorities in life as well. And so as a result, we'll see quite a lot of people, you know, even leaving, voluntarily leaving the jobs and taking on some other areas that, you know, is very much aligned with their purpose as well as the meaning in life. Now, a lot of companies are recognizing that, I've seen, and um, they're looking at, you know, providing a more engaging, a trusted environment for employees to be able to thrive in the midst of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. They are focusing quite a lot on uh, essentially building or rebuilding the culture, uh, providing a flexible working arrangement for employees, also taking care of uh, employee wellness across uh, many aspects and building a psychological safety within the organization so that employees can feel that they are accepted and then included and be able to continue to uh, contribute. And I think from the employee's area, like you say, you know, it's very much a bottom-up as well. Employees are really looking beyond just pay and asking for more in what they, they do. So I'm seeing that uh, quite a number of employees are more vocal, right, in wanting to build a greater experience for themselves. They want to bring their whole self to work and they're asking the companies to provide some conditions so that they can do so and contribute sustainably. So we are seeing, especially from the uh, millennials and Generation Z, that the voice are louder, right? They're sharing their concerns, they're uh, sharing what they want with the organizations and companies are responding accordingly. So like you say, it's both a uh, top-down approach as well as a bottoms-up approach. 
And hopefully, when these two combine, it will become the sweet spot where employees can become happier, more engaged, bring their whole self to work, and the organizations can improve their productivity in a sustainable way. Yeah, that was very well said. And uh, with that in mind, what do you think are the key trends in the talent market today? And what do you expect for the talent market in the next several years? Wow. If I have a crystal ball, uh, I'll say that for right now, in fact, this is what we are seeing in the crystal ball. Yeah. There is a huge supply and demand gap in um, many industries at the moment. A supply mm-hmm. of talents in many industries at the moment. On the one hand, we have a lot of people looking for jobs. And on the other hand, we have a lot of companies with jobs ready looking for people. <laughs> and so you know, we are seeing, in fact, from LinkedIn's data that this mismatch is really caused by the uh, skills obsolescence. I see. Yeah, you know, in fact, many roles right, have changed as a result of digital disruption. And even with the same role, the underlying skills have changed. And so there is uh, this gap where people are not ready to access to uh, new roles or new skills in the same role because what they used to do for the last two decades becomes obsolete and they need to pick up new skills. So the way to really um, solve you know, what we call this the war on talent, right? uh, first of all, it's for companies to really look beyond this qualification or even past experience into having a better appreciation of the skills that they require, the skills that uh, incoming employees have, as well as the potential to help employees develop the skills so that they can actually bring in people who are perhaps maybe 70% ready and build up to 100% and so that they can contribute to the job. At the same time, you know, for existing employees, there's a need to uh, reskill and upskill their own workforce so that they will be ready because you just can't find what we call a plug and play talents from outside and get them expect to deliver on day one right now. Yeah, absolutely, because companies have to hire for potential for what is that person going to be in three to four to five years? And is this person adaptive and can change? Because I think that's the most important thing in the future. And so much change and the pace is so fast that whoever can change and pick up and learn is going to be in the winning position. Oh, yeah. You, you, you said it exactly well. I mean, in fact, from the employee's viewpoint, like you say, people need to be ready to adapt and learn, to have a growth mindset, to be able to stretch themselves outside the comfort zone all the time. Because otherwise, they can become obsolete themselves. So therefore, you're spot on in terms of what you know we as professionals need to do to be adaptable. And now let's continue on the same topic. What do you think are the critical skills that will be needed in the future? So if somebody is in their mid-career, what kind of skills should they aim to cultivate and what are the skills they should be seeking to develop to stay relevant on the market? Well, I will classify uh, the skills into maybe two buckets. First of all is hard skills. Right? Hard skills are skills that uh, comes with the profession. Okay. You are an accountant. You need to have certain hard skills. If you're a banker of uh, different categories, you need to have the hard skills. If you're a developer, you need to have hard skills. And uh, the skills will keep on evolving. And um, it will keep on being more and more digital, right? But people may change jobs, 
may change uh, companies or even change industries, but many of them are true to the profession and therefore they need to continue to upgrade hard skills. And there's another part which is uh, transferable skills. We talked about it before, skills such as communications, collaboration, critical thinking. Uh, such skills can come along the way to enable every one of us to contribute well to every organization that we are part of or even taking on our own career, our own business. And at the same time, enable people to work together to solve the biggest problems that we have to solve. So beyond that, mindset is also going to be important. I think we talked about that earlier. Yeah. That we can have the skills, but the skills will keep on evolving. And we need to have the mindset of a lifelong learner. We need to be able to stretch ourselves outside our comfort zone all the time so that uh, we can become better and better. So maybe um, establish a network so that we can help one another as we navigate our career path or our life goals, right? Like, like yourself and myself, I need to be connected on LinkedIn. And now you know, yeah. I was so inspired by some of your postings and you got me going, <laughs> you got me, give me energy to pursue things I want to do. And hopefully I can also return back to other members on the platform as well. No, thank you so much. Talking about LinkedIn and the posting, how can LinkedIn help with career pivots? Let's hear it from the head of Asia. Well, I thought I'll hear from you because you are the practitioner yeah. on leveraging LinkedIn, right? We provide the facility for members or creators to do so. I think what on the whole, what we do is we have a platform that helps people to develop their network, to share their thought leadership, and to pick up information on uh, different industries from different people to get inspired along the way and uh, to learn along the way. So this is really a platform that can help career pivots by giving more information, providing a network, and also helping them to take on a rough uh, journeys that may happen when they pivot their career and encourage them to get going. Right? And I'd love to hear from you, Annie, on a, maybe a separate occasion on your thoughts around this as well, because uh, we definitely need feedback from yourself as key creators as well as other members. Yeah. Well, the thing is that I picked up quite a number of, I've been a guest lecturer and I had a number of speaking uh, engagements. And uh, every time I say to people, use LinkedIn to the full, because when I was young employee, just starting or a student, I didn't have this op opportunity. I couldn't just reach out to a senior person in a bank or a financial institution or any company and ask, can you help me? Right? That was not possible to me. And now it is there. So people should use it 110%. And for me, it was actually very important for my transition because every connection, every business opportunity for me came from LinkedIn. Most of it, you know, 90% came from LinkedIn. So I can confirm it's absolutely invaluable to be a member. Oh, thank you so much, Annie, for your feedback. In fact, your testimony actually helps, you know, the life and the meaning of the job that we do at LinkedIn a lot more meaningful. Definitely. Thank you. Well, we are at the end of the podcast, unfortunately. So let's close it with three key takeaways for anyone planning a career pivot at the moment. The first one is to always see ourselves as a work in progress, never a complete product, so that we have a growth mindset. We're always ready to learn new things, learn from other people, and uh, get inspiration from other people 
and hopefully inspire others along the way as well. Second thing is to be ready to take intelligent risk. Now, by that, I mean, uh, we need to, of course, access our financial position. We need to understand what our interests or purpose is in life. At the same time, we need to understand what our skills that we have that can contribute to the new career or new jobs that we're doing. But once you've done that, take a risk sometimes, right? We may need not be 100% ready. Maybe we are 70 or 80% ready, but it's good to take on something that we are really interested or passionate about. Because someone used to say that it's better to take on something and fail than to spend your time regretting not doing it at all. Totally. Yeah, and then the, the third one is, I think, to build a network so that you, know, you can be supported you can get advice. You can also get help along the way as you navigate your career, your career pivots. Thank you, Frank. I love this work in progress. You're always work in progress. I really like this. Thank you so much. I wish you all the best and we'll keep in touch on LinkedIn. Definitely, Annie. You have a great time and we'll catch up again. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Change is Possible podcast. I hope you enjoyed. If there is any topic that you're interested in or would like to nominate a guest, please drop me a message via LinkedIn. Have a great day. Bye.